We are so attached to the idea of who we are, you know, whether it's designed by what our parents always said about us. But sometimes I find I, I would get so attached to that that then I would be afraid to let go because I don't want to lose me. I don't want to lose me. Yeah. I'm me, I know me. If I want to lose me, do I still love me? Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, you know that one of my favorite ways to learn is by learning people's stories, by diving into their hearts, their minds, their, their souls, if they're willing to share that, and try and understand what we can learn, what we can hear, what we don't understand. Maybe there's a part of their journey that we didn't know enough about. And I've found stories become a huge compass for me in my life. And that's why I try and share those with you here. And today's guest is someone that I've actually wanted to talk to for a long, long time. I would say I've been probably trying to book this podcast for like two years in the making. So I'm very, very excited this evening. And just so you know, he's had a crazy busy day. It is officially 7.45 p.m. on a Monday night when we're recording this in New York City. I'm talking about the one and only, someone who needs no introduction, Trevor Noah. Trevor, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, I'm very grateful you. to have you in the in the seat, finally. It's good. I'm, I'm grateful to be talking to you in person. Most of the time I see you, I'm watching a clip of yours online, so this is nice. <laughs> no, I really appreciate this. And my interview with you that we did when I was out talking about Calm was my favorite interview from that whole oh, experience wow. because I felt that the questions you asked me were the most reflective, they were pushing me, they were challenging me in a healthy way. And I was just like, oh, well, you know, I, I want to sit down more and have more of those conversations Thank with you. you. So you. anyway, but I, I want to start with you, but you know, your book, Born a Crime is a brilliant, brilliant book. And I don't want to go through the whole book. I'd love for people to read it if they haven't. But I guess what I'm fascinated by is human experiences when we were children or mm -hmm. early on in our lives mm -hmm. that shaped us today. And I know you've reflected on that a lot, but now when you reflect on it today, what are some of the examples of human experiences that you had that you think shaped who you are today? What was one of the earliest memories maybe? My mom is a Bible scholar and she reads the Bible every day. Not all of it, but she, mm. she moves through it every single day. What I found fascinating is that she's been reading the same book for decades now. And every day she'll send me an email or a message about a scripture and how it pertains to her life as she sees it now in this moment, how it has been and how she thinks it will be. And what I found particularly fascinating about that is the fact that it's the same book and yet it keeps meaning so many different things to her. The same story, but it keeps meaning so many different things. And I sometimes think, about my life in that way is depending on where I am, depending on the moment, depending on where I've been and where I'm going, the same experience reveals a different part of me. The same experience reveals why I am who I am or why I'm doing what I'm doing or why I even have an idea of who I am or why I am. And so recently maybe, since you know, you're asking me, what is one of these things? What is something... I think back to how not having shaped how I see the world, shaped how I move in the world. You know, not having food sometimes, not having money sometimes, not even having luxury items sometimes, you know, 
whether it be clothing or cars, whatever it may be. But but recently I've I've found myself going, man, so much of how you define yourself is through the lens of having or not having, particularly because of how you grew up. Mm. And so it's it's not about having or not having now, but it's in the small things, you know, it's like how I order food or why I order the food that I do in the way that I do is partially because of having or not having. And mm. so I would say that's maybe one of the biggest experiences that I find has, um, yeah, has recently been like just shining a light on, on, on how I grew up. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I've often reflected on something similar and I've called it gifts or gaps, the having or not having. Interesting. So certain gifts that I had growing up, either yeah. handed to me by yeah. my parents or by my family. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Uh, and then what I, are the gaps? Well, there were gaps. Like there were things that you didn't have. Mm-hmm. So whether that would be uh, a present parent or a, right. uh, I didn't have the latest Nike mm-hmm. sneakers mm-hmm. or Nike shoes as we would call, call them, them. Nike. In yeah, London, same, yeah, I would call them Nike. Yeah, exactly. Call them Nike. Yeah, Nike. Yeah, Nike. Yeah, Nike. You sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nike and Adidas. <laughs> yes. As I say, Adidas, not Adidas. Uh, and and so those kind of gaps, and obviously those are very crude examples, yeah. but. Yeah. And, and do you find yourself editing those now? Like, do you find yourself saying, okay, I didn't have this and therefore I have this behavior. I did have this and therefore I have this behavior. Do you feel like your behavior today wants an upgrade because of your new lifestyle or a downgrade? Or you kind of think, no, I'm happy living with the same beliefs and values and systems that I had from back then. All I'm constantly trying to do is acknowledge them. Mm. I try my best to eliminate good or bad. Mm. I really do. And the reason I do that is not because, you know, I, I exist in a in a spiritual world, although I, I think we all do, but I, not because of that. I think of it more because I realize everything and everyone is going to have a good or bad, mm. you know. So I have yet to meet a person who doesn't think some parts of their childhood were tough. Yes. But now it's when we compare the toughness that, that people then say, oh, actually, I didn't have it tough. You had it tough. And, and, you know, like people will say to me, oh, man, you grew up so poor in South Africa and, the, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the township and whatever. And I would say to them, I didn't feel like this because I would see, for instance, the slums in India. Mm-hmm. I go like, man, yo. And, and maybe I was lucky, funny enough, because in South Africa we had news that was, was global and because it was uh, – it was so, um, I think it was so broad. Mm. I had an awareness. So I didn't think what I was living through was the worst possible thing. Yes. But now relative to how many other people live, they've put me down at the bottom of a list. Yes, you know? yes, yes. And yeah, and, yeah, and so I, I, I often don't think of it as good or bad. Mm. I, I just try and go, oh, that happened, that didn't happen. Because of that, I adapted accordingly. You know, so, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of rainfall so then this plant will start growing in that way. There isn't as much rainfall. The plant will grow another way. Is it good or is it bad? That's oftentimes something that's subjective because of who runs the world or who yeah. tells us how the world should be or isn't. Or You, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And, and I love that you've simplified it as awareness because that awareness or acknowledgement, as try, you said, yeah, try. Of, of keeping it that way is often quite sacred to be yeah. able to say, no, I'm just observing. I'm just seeing. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> but and, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And you reminded me, I was... I was nine years old when I first visited India. I was born and raised in London, uh-huh. but my my mom I was actually was born and raised in Yemen, and my father was born and raised in India. But my parents are Indian. What part of India? 
my father was from Mangalore, okay. which is like southern India. Okay. And then my mother is from Gujarat, which is northern right, India. Right. But she was born and raised in Yemen, so she moved to London when she was 16. Mm-hmm. But when I went to India for the first time when I was nine years old, I remember we were in a car and we were not well off, so we weren't staying in a fancy hotel mm-hmm. or whatever, but mm-hmm. we had enough money to visit, which is significant mm-hmm. for the air flight. And I remember going in this car and you just sparked this. And I remember like stopping at a traffic light Mm -hmm. and just looking out and I saw all these slums. And I mean, I'd never seen something like that in London. And I saw these little legs poking out of like a barrel of a trash can. And, and I was just, and the legs look little like of someone my age, like around. And, and then slowly I saw the whole, her whole body come out Mm -hmm. and it was this girl and she didn't have any hands. And she'd just been like trying to scrape the bottom. And I remember being nine years old and she was probably like maybe the same age, maybe a little less. Like, And I remember just looking at her and feeling like totally helpless because I was in the car on the other side of the highway and I can't go and help her. I want to, but I also don't know what help means as a nine-year-old. And it was one of those experiences that, you know, and then I went back, I remember to my hotel and... I remember hearing like someone was arguing about not enough menu options on the buffet. Oof. And it was just, it was like, as a night, it was like connecting the dots, as you're saying, of yeah. like, you know, when you see your experience and then you see someone else's experience. Have, have you found that what you did go through that you ever needed to process it or heal it? Or because you had that perspective since day one, that that you never needed that, that it was just like, no, this is my experience and I'm used to it or mm-hmm. were there were there moments of where you had to revisit and i work on healing every day mm. you know i grew up in a world where we almost didn't have the time nor the resources to heal mm. and i think for a long time i was very comfortable in accepting that as just being my world oh that happened I, you know i shrug it off and you keep on moving Wow. Yeah, you, you shrug it off. That happened, that happened to you, you know, domestic abuse, uh, okay, poverty, whatever it may be, violence in the community or at home, whatever. Yeah, but that happens. You keep it moving. You shrug it off because it is happening. And funny enough, you can grow up, and I knew I grew up in a world where I created this narrative in my head that it was not bad because it was happening to everyone. Mm. Wow. wow. And so... Wow, 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 yeah. Now, most of my life, you know, is spent acknowledging that it was bad and then spending a lot of time acknowledging how the bad created coping mechanisms or tools that I then use in my life every single day and how I can accept those parts of myself whilst also not glorifying the things that happened. Just mm. sometimes I, I, I fight so with a fine. lot of people when they do this. I, I, I fight with all my friends, by the way. <laughs> I hate friends to, from back home? Anyone. Yeah, anyone. Okay, I fight yeah. from friends, with friends yeah. from back home. I fight with anyone, Jay. Anyone. <laughs> I'm never grateful for suffering. I'm never grateful for pain. I'm, never, mm. I'm not grateful for those things. Mm. What I work to be grateful for is the resiliency that mm. may exist in my family mm. and our ability to adapt but I'm not going to be grateful for a horrible thing that happened to me or the people in my life Yes, because we learned how to deal with it. Yeah, You know, I would like to live in a world where my child doesn't have to develop that tool. Let them develop another tool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let them, let their tool be, I had to figure out, uh, you know, how to feel good about myself when I couldn't get as many TikTok followers as I wanted. (laughs) Let that, fine. Let that be their tool. 
but I, 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 and I understand the, you know, the esoteric idea. I understand what people are saying sometimes, but I, I'm, I'm almost allergic to it because I think sometimes what it does is it justifies what people are going through, or it justifies the idea that we, we, we don't need to do more, or people aren't going through something bad because it, it creates the best. It yeah. makes diamonds. It makes, it can create diamonds. And I'm like, yeah, but what it can also do is pulverize a lot of people into dust. Yeah. You know, and so diamonds are the exception. I, I, I'm often careful to think about, you know, uh, yeah. and I'm sure, I'm sure you understand what I mean. Yeah. I mean, hearing you actually, what I find is that it, at least what I took away from that is that it's the same thought. It's just a deeper level of the same thought. Like it's with more clarity. Like it's like, I think sometimes we hear that idea of be grateful for everything or right. be grateful yeah. for the suffering. And if you don't really think that through, you can try and artificially put that band-aid. Maybe that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you just kind of try and like, oh yeah, put the band-aid on, mm -hmm. like put the band-aid on of mm -hmm. gratitude, gratitude. Mm -hmm. But it's like when you internalize that and you process it, that's when you can, what you're doing, which is like clearly sectioning it off and right. saying, I'm not grateful for the act of violence or I'm not exactly. grateful for the suffering, as exactly. you said, but I can be grateful for the quality that, resilience, et cetera, yeah. that helped me push through. Yeah. But I think that's, to me, that's just a deeper, more refined thought out of practicing gratitude almost. Do you think, like, I've always, I've yeah. always wanted to know, as a, like, yeah. you know, as a monk, are you forced to just be grateful for everything, regardless of, of what it is? No, I, I think what you're saying is far more aligned with what I would think. Like, oh, okay. okay. As, in, as in, I think that there's two parts, right? One is what the philosophy tries to share or, yeah. or state. And then it's what you learn in the practice of that philosophy. So if you try and be grateful, like I just had, uh, this, this literally just happened, hence I'm talking about it. I just had a double inguinal hernia surgery, uh, which means that both my hernias, which are on either side of my groin, had to, wow. had to have incisions in my stomach wow. and a mesh put in yep. there. It's not life-threatening, but it's massively inconvenient. Yes. And I was, I didn't work for three weeks. This mm -hmm. is my first week back at work. And I'm feeling the much- fun, The funniest is when you, you try and um, you, you, you have like a sneeze or a cough the first time. Have you had this? Yeah, and then you oh know, my God, you that know makes... the, funny, the funniest is when it happens. And the first time you don't realize how painful it would be. And now your body doesn't allow you to cough or sneeze or, but it's amazing. It's almost funny to what we're talking about. <laughs> this is what I mean, right? It is amazing how quickly your body responds to trauma or pain. Yes. It's amazing at how quickly it works to protect you from it. Because if I said to you, don't sneeze or don't cough for three weeks, it's impossible. Yeah. But one cough and one sneeze when you've had your hernia oh or any God. surgery that's abdominal, your body goes, I never want to experience that again. Never. And then you don't know, you know exactly, but you know exactly, <laughs> I know exactly what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. For the first, I was scared that I was going to pop my hernia yes, again. Yes, so yes, exactly. It's so, the fear. Yeah, it's there you the go. fear. Yeah. And so I'm walking around with a pillow like halfway through the day. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I might cough. And she's laughing at me. I'm like, you can't make me laugh either. Like, I was like, I couldn't watch comedy for three yes, weeks because yeah. you can't laugh. It hurts right. so much. But the reason I brought that up was like, am I grateful I got a hernia? No, like, why would I be grateful that I've been working out, I eat healthy, yes, I'm like, right. you know, I'm very, I'm a mindful individual, but I ended up with this from whatever, from yeah. working out and everything. I'm not grateful for the hernia, but I'm grateful for the journey I chose to take during the experience Got it. Got it. that has helped me have new appreciations. Yes. And so I, I think the point of, at least, I mean, going to what you suggested, like how would a monk think about gratitude? I don't think any quality or value was embodied by force 
or by prescription without okay. reflection. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, that so does make sense. Anything without reflection is practically okay. Yeah, not the right way to do right. it. Right. That anyway, makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I, I yeah. like that. I really do fight with a lot of people about this. <laughs> and no, and I, you know, I obviously when I say fight, I mean that's how we use it. in South Africa. Funny enough, in India as well. I'm sure you know this. Yes. When I was in India, I went recently, and what I loved is how people argue about everything. <laughs> And like one of the guys who was there is a friend of mine now. And, you know, we're arguing back and forth. We're arguing. And then like his friend steps in and he's like, Trevor, he's like, I'm so sorry, Trevor. Please, whip, I apologize. You know, he's not fighting with you. This is how we do it in India. And I'm like, oh, I was like, this is amazing. I, get it. Yeah. I want to live in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get into it. But this is what I, I argue with people about sometimes where I say, yeah, I don't have to be grateful for it. Yes. Because I often say, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong here. That's how I see it. I have found for myself, and maybe for others at times, we are so attached to the idea of who we are, mm. the story that we've told ourselves, the story that we continue to tell ourselves, who we are, who we wish to be, who we should be, you know, whether it's designed by what our parents always said about us. You're such a quiet child. You're such a lovely person. You're so kind. You're so polite. And you go, that I am, oh, I should be then. I, mm. You know, whatever it may be. But sometimes I find I, I would get so attached to that mm. that then I would be afraid to let go of the things that may be holding me back because I don't want to lose me. Because who is me if I don't have the pain? Who is me if I don't have the trauma? Who is me if I don't have the, the mistrust? I don't want to lose me. Yeah. I'm me. I know me. What if I'm not me? I love me. And if I want to lose me, do I still love me? And it, it, I, that's what I find the yeah. thing is. And so... What I found helps me, you know, and I'll, I'll say to some of my friends as I go, I do not need to live my life believing that I would not be me or I do not love me if I wish for these things to not happen. Mm. But I rather go, I would have learned something else. So I learned a different part of my body. I learned how to work through pain. I learned how to move differently because yes. of a hernia. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Oh, I'm grateful that I can learn. Yeah. I'm grateful that I can recover. I'm grateful that maybe I even learned how to rest a little bit. Yes. Take yeah. some time Slow off. Slow down, yeah. Slow down, Jay. But I also sit with it and go, but if I didn't have that hernia, if I didn't have that trauma as a child, I would have had the opportunity to learn something else. Yes. So maybe my tool wouldn't have been used on this. It would have been used on something else. And that yes. doesn't diminish me or, or who I think I am. It just allows me to almost exist infinitely and go, well, then I can try to be whatever me exists. Yeah. You know, and you, it's like skin, it's like hair, it's like we're always losing us, is what I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cells in our bodies are changing all the time. Right? losing yeah, us. Yeah, I'm yeah. always trying that, and it's scary. That's, uh, yeah, it's scary because I think humans look for certainty as safety yeah. and security and stability. But I was going to ask you that, like, what you started to touch on there, which I, which I'm, which I love, is like identity belonging mm -hmm. and these are things that you talk about so much in your past as well and what you're basically saying is that well if we're open to our identity changing mm -hmm. and we're open to our home changing i mean do you still feel attached to a sense of home like what is home to you today like how would you how do you think about the word home for me the true definition of the word home is familiar mm. of the family it's a repeated interaction that's all home is to me mm. You know, the reason you call it my home is because you go back to it every single day. Mm. Uh, if somebody flipped all the furniture and the house every day, you find you wouldn't, you'd say it doesn't feel like home. Yes. But it is your home. Yes. You know, I, I think. It's your house. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. My friends are my home. The languages, you know, I speak are my home. The food I eat in South Africa is my home. 
but my home starts to grow. It starts to change. Mm. You know, I, I said this to a friend of mine when I got back from India. I said, man, it felt like home. And he was like, what are you, India? <laughs> I said, it's crazy, but it felt like home. Wow. You know, there, there were parts of Delhi where I was like, this feels like home. Wow. You know, there were parts of Bangalore, Bengaluru, where it's like, this feels like home. Wow. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and people are like, what, how can it feel like home? It's like, well, maybe because part of it is reminiscent. You know, it reminds me of South Africa. We have an Indian population. It's huge, one of the biggest in the world. We, we have Indian culture. But also it's just, it's, it feels familiar. It feels like home. And mm. so for me, that's, that's what home means, is, mm. is, is a sense of the familiar. You know, you can even experience randomly, if you travel a lot, in a hotel that you always frequent, it feels like home. Yeah. So that's what, you know, that's what home means for me. Yeah. It's just that, you know. And you feel that in New York too when you're here. Like yeah. you, you find that you have that because of that familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel like, I always see you and I always, it seems to me like you're always home. I don't know why. That's, that's a nice thing for you to say. Genuinely. It always yeah. seems like, I never feel like you, you're uncomfortable. I never feel like you, but I don't know if that's just what you put out. No, I, 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 would, it's, I was going to define it now. It's contextually sharing now, but I, my definition of home have, has always been where I feel I'm living my purpose. Oh. So that's always been my purpose. So, and I genuinely feel like that where I could wake up and be in another city or another country or another seat. And as long as I'm, this is my, like, I feel this, I'm doing my purpose tonight with you yeah. and that's why I'm here. Help and, me understand. So how would you, because I, I, yeah. I can try to understand it, but what, what would you say your, you feel your purpose is? So my purpose is to help other people find their purpose. Okay. And to me, my purpose is to be a vessel of being able to expose people to a number of different ideas, insights, paths, stories, walks of life, so that they can find theirs. I don't think everyone's purpose looks like mine. I don't think everyone's path looks like mine. Because I think one of the best things I got when I was a kid, and again, it goes back to my childhood experiences, Mm -hmm. my dad was really worried that I didn't read enough. And I would never be interested in reading fiction books at school. So we'd get the fiction books like Goosebumps and then later on Mm -hmm. Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. all these books. And I would never read them and I wouldn't have any interest in them. So my dad was worried and my mom was worried that this kid's not going to read. And now I was about 13 going on 14 and I still wasn't reading a lot. And so my dad started giving me biographies and autobiographies. And so I read like, by the time I was 16, I'd read Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King. Wow. Uh, I was also reading like David Beckham and Dwayne yeah, yeah, Johnson yeah. because yeah. I was a massive soccer football fan. And so I started just like collecting all these stories. And then as I told you, when I sat on your show, like I met a monk when I was 18 and that was the story that my purpose felt connected to. Got it. And so now I feel, I'm like, well, someone's going to listen to Trevor's story and feel far more connected. Interesting. And that may spark this kid out there to say, hey, maybe that's the kind of direction I want to go in. I feel like today we're, we're exposed to the same people online and on TV and streaming, and we're also exposed to the same parts of them. That's true. And my hope is that this podcast, even if you're seeing someone who's famous and popular mm-hmm. like yourself, mm-hmm. hopefully people get a deeper insight into someone famous and popular, saying. or they get to meet someone random who's not famous and popular, mm-hmm. but is interesting. So anyway, that's, that's my purpose. Okay. Wow. So I feel like if I'm doing that in a city, in a you're country, home. I'm, I'm home. And it's because uh, one of the famous scholars, and you're talking about your mother being a scriptural scholar and like such an avid reader... Uh, I never met this scholar, but my monk teachers would often quote him. 
And he said that the only place higher than like the spiritual realm, uh, and it would be poetry, but also, you know, literal mm-hmm. as well, that the only place higher than being in heaven or the spiritual realm is a place you live your purpose. Sure. And, I, and that idea always like connected with me because then I was like, oh, so I could be in the middle of chaos, but still feel at home. Right. And so it gives me a sense of comfort and, you know, that's what keeps me going when the day's tough, when things are mm-hmm. going whatever mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that comforts me and it works for me. If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you love to hear and the ones you've heard too many times. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document these stories? StoryWorth makes it fun and easy to basically write a book of life memories. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a life-related question that you pick from their collection, like what's the bravest thing you've ever done? What are you most grateful for today? Or what's your happiest memory this year? All they have to do is reply with a story. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles everything into an exquisite hardcover book. The whole process is so simple. Get started with your loved one for the holidays and before you know it, you'll both be cherishing those timeless stories for generations to come. If you've been listening to our recent Friday episodes, you'll know how much of an inspiration my mom has been on me for my entire life. So when I heard about StoryWorth, I was fascinated with how fun and simple it is to create a keepsake book full of all your loved one's wisdom. StoryWorth is the perfect Christmas gift for all of your elders. And I'm very excited to sit down with the family next Christmas to share each other's stories. Help your family share the story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com forward slash J today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com forward slash J to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com forward slash J. With you, the one thing, a thread that I've heard in you, which I really appreciated, is like literally three times you've responded. You've said, my friends, my friends. I was talking to my friend. Like this person talks a lot to their friends. Yeah. Which, which is really beautiful because you're thinking wow, like you're a busy person, Mm -hmm. you're back to back. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember I was in, I think we were both speaking at the Sharjah Book Festival. You landed one night, I messaged you and I said, Trevor, let's do breakfast. You're like, dude, I leave. (laughs) I was gone I was there for eight hours, you were there for like six or four. And I was like, I thought I was there for not enough. Like I was there for eight hours and you were like, dude, I'm I'm literally leaving tonight. And so you're a busy person, but in this conversation, so many times you said, friends, 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 Mm -hmm. friends, like, uh, yeah, like how, A, who are the friends? What, what are you talking to them about? Like, how, what's your consistency? I'm, I'm fascinated by that because... So who are the friends? Predominantly, my friends are from South Africa. Um, friends I met doing different things. All, all organic meetings, which um, I'm a sucker for. I'm terrible at making friends, partially because I, I don't trust people easily. I exist in a world where I can be friendly with many people, but, you know, it, it takes me a while to accept that this person is actually a part of my life. Right. And I think for a long time it, it was because, and still is sometimes, because A, I have an idea of putting something on that person where I may need them means that they may disappoint me. Mm. And then on the other side of it, them needing me means I could be in the position to disappoint them. Mm. 
you know, and, and, and so as we learn people, I find we learn what they can and cannot do. We learn who they are or are not. And it's always situational for me. You know, that's, that's when I'll call you like a friend is that I know how you are in most situations. Yeah. It's a good definition. You know, that, that, that for me is the definition of a friend. So you know, I can be, we use it loosely, obviously, but, you know, I can be friends with you and we always meet for lunch and always meet for, but, yeah. but then I only know you in, in one way. My friends, I start to be able to, I almost, almost store in a vault in my mind. I can say for a fact, if we're friends, if Jay was here, this would bother him. He would like that. <laughs> He would probably say this, and that's why he would act this way. Yeah, and that's you know, yeah, that's, that's how I think of my friends. Yeah, so they've been a, a major part of making me feel at home. You know, mm. my 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 job, stand up comedy, is a really lonely career. Mm. You know, and I, I remember talking to a comedian. It was a few weeks ago, talking about how there was like a period where a lot of stand up comedians were committing suicide. You know, and would be you'd hear this devastating story of a comedian that everyone loved. They were in a hotel room and then they committed suicide. Mm. And I was petrified because I, I always think it can happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I go, that if that happened to them, why did it happen? How to, if I don't understand, then what is it? Another comedian, another comedian, another comedian, another comedian. I think being a stand-up comedian is a, is a really lonely job in that we're traveling, oftentimes alone, we don't have a band. We don't have backup dancers. We don't. We don't. We don't travel with. A <laughs> Can you crew. imagine yeah, you with you know? your backup dancers? And yet, every night you're going out there, mm. and you're making people laugh. You're having fun with them. Mm. They come with their families. They come with their friends. They come with their loved ones. You leave alone, mm. and and it's this constant exchange of energy. And what I learned was my my friends became that hub. My friends became my recharge. My friends became the couch I could lie on and say nothing or everything. Yeah. And thanks partly to technology, I've been able to keep in touch with them. There's no, there's no catching up for us. It's literally a running, we've got a WhatsApp thread that is now, I'm going to say 15 years old. Yeah. Like literally I can go back <laughs> and search something from maybe 10 years ago sometimes. Yeah. I can go back on the WhatsApp thread and go, what happened? And I can search and I can find it. That's how long we've had the same yeah. group and the same friends and the same everything. And obviously it's grown over time, but that core has kept mm. me, you know? I always think, did you end up reading Harry Potter? I didn't ever read it. I've watched oh. all the movies. Yeah, I never Oh, read you watched it? it, okay. Yeah, I watched all the movies. I know all the, I'm a big fan actually. Okay, of okay. Yeah. So I feel like your friends in life are your horcruxes. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, yeah, I think, yeah, okay. I think as people, what we do is we break ourselves into parts. And whenever we meet people, we give them a part of ourselves. Mm. And some people we give more than we give others, but we give everyone a different part of ourselves. No one in your life has the same part that another person has. They may seem similar, but they're not. Mm. Your mother and father hold different parts of you. Your uncles, your cousins, your brothers, sisters, your friends, whoever it is, they yeah. all hold the different parts of you. And the same way Voldemort could use that to come back to life, I feel like we can use that wow. to come back to life. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you watched a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> I read the book. Yeah, you read, I the, read the book, my friend. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what you missed in the movie. That's, I read yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so I always think that as I, 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 
man, sometimes I can be at my worst. I can be, sometimes I can be lost. Yeah. Really, Jay, there'll be times when I'll be like, man, what am I doing? Or where am I? I'm stressed, I'm tired, I'm burnt out. I, I feel lost. And I can call a friend mm. and no joke, they can say to me, well, the Trevor I know, you know, and, and I love that they say that. They don't say this is who you are or not. They go, the mm. Trevor I know found his joy here. Yeah. Hey, you know, I've noticed that you're always happiest when you do it this way. Yeah. Hey, I've noticed that, you know, you stress more when you're in this position. Hey, and I go, man, I, I didn't know that about myself. Or I didn't hold myself that way because I'm always experiencing all of me still through my lens. But thank you. You freed me. You encouraged me. You held me. Um, you loved me. Mm. And what, what then happens is I start to find what I need to get back to my purpose, to my passion, to whatever drives me. And, and that's why my friends are a big part of that. That is, that is the core of my world, yeah. you know? And, and it's funny, my mom even used to say that to me when I was growing up, you know, at, at a certain age, she said to me, she'd say to me, my friend, you know, and I'd be like, I'm not your friend, <laughs> like, I'm, you're my mom. And my mom would say, just because I'm your mom doesn't mean I'm your friend. She said, there are many mothers out there that aren't friends with their child. Yeah. And she said, I'm your mother and I will always love you as your mother but you are becoming my friend. Wow. And that stuck with me. I realized that friendship is a choice. Mm. Every other relation we have isn't. And so even your, your relatives can become your friends or may not be your friends. Yeah. And I think understanding that illuminates a lot of how you interact with people in the world. Yeah, I, I, I really resonate with what, I mean, everything you said, but one of the things that stood out was that kind of performer's loneliness. Mm. And the, my, my work mainly started with coaching and working with people. And I, mm -hmm. and I work with a lot of musicians and people who tour and travel, not comedians, but, but artists. And, you know, they're performing to like 100,000 people, like yeah. 80,000 people. And then they would always talk to me about this. And I didn't, I didn't really have an empathetic experience of it. I, I could understand it theoretically. Yeah. And then, because most of the events I used to speak at were like corporate events or like a business event or things like that. And then a few years ago when I did my first ever event with my audience and it was in LA, people who mm -hmm. came because mm -hmm. they followed my work, not because of anything else. There was only about 2000 people in the audience and I finished the event and I got into the car and it hit me. And I was like, oh, like this is chemical. This is definitely chemical because yeah. you've just had yeah. thousands of people shouting your name and mm -hmm. like loving everything you say and mm -hmm. all this validation and everything else. As what you were saying when you were coming, like the dopamine, the everything. Yes. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, wait a minute, this feels weird. Like, why do I feel like, you know, a, a sense of loneliness? And it was really interesting because I felt like that pretty much the whole, and I felt like calling someone. Yes. And I couldn't because in London it was too early. <laughs> None of my that friends would be awake. And so they're eight hours ahead because I'm in LA and I'm going, I've got to wait another hour for my yeah. friend to wake up, two hours. I'm not going to wake him up in the middle of the night. So I'm waiting there. And then all my friends in LA were just at the event. So I just saw them. And so they're probably like going home and it was a week night. And so maybe, the, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to. And then I get home and my wife had organized this surprise party for me with all my best oh, friends, wow. like closest friends in LA. Wow. And it was like a relief. It wasn't even a celebration. I was like, there's a sense of relief. I was like, Oh, thank God, because I don't know what I would, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done tonight, man. Like, you know, I understand why people turn to drugs. I understand yeah, why people yeah. turn to I understand. Right. Like it was the first time I was like, Because oh, you, I, yeah, yeah, you need to numb it. Yeah, you need to numb you it. Because numb it. you just don't know what to do with that feeling. Mm -hmm. 
And that was the first time I'd felt that way. And I can't imagine, as you're saying, for someone who's on tour and traveling right. every night. Right. My random... drug, as I said to you, my drug was chocolate. Oh, I love chocolate too. That was like my, <laughs> I, I couldn't, it's like my team knew, my people knew. It's like, I'll do the show and immediately, and you probably relate to this more because, you know, coming from the UK, yeah. in America, they don't really do it. In South Africa, our uh, petrol stations, our gas yeah, stations, petrol stations yeah. right? They have amazing stores attached to them. Yes. Like here, every gas station looks like it's already been robbed. You don't want to pour gas. I don't like it. It looks terrible. They all look abandoned. Yes, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. They all look like a ghost town. They really yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Whereas where we're from, it's like, oh, you go and you buy a pie. You buy some. You buy a few drinks. Yeah, there's like cooked exactly. snacks. Exactly. It's like, yeah. oh, this is life. You can yeah. get some groceries on the. It's a very normal concept. Yeah. And that would be me after every show. Mm. I would drive, there would be the silence. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't, my mind would yeah, just be, silence. it's like I could hear everybody, but they were gone. And then I would go in and then I would buy, chocolate would be my thing. <laughs> I, it, it, it immediately, and then I, 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 you know, over the years I would read and I'd started learning that, like, you know, chocolate, the dopamine, the sugar, yeah. all of these things. I was, I was correcting a chemical thing without realizing Correct. it. Because it is, a, it is a shock on your body. Yeah. Everyone, nothing. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating yeah. that 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 experience, and and I'm sure people have that in different ways in their life. Like you don't have to be a performer yeah. to thousands yeah, of people sure. to experience that. I think people experience that in lots of different ways. It's beautiful that you've been able to continue this ten-year WhatsApp chat. Like that's you know that's like a brilliant achievement. How how did you do it in such a way that when you became unrelatable to people, like mm. how has that affected? your friendships, your life, your relationships? Because at one point, I'm guessing, you know, when, when you come to America, you crush yeah. it on The Daily Show, things are going yeah. great. You know, times 100 most influential people. Well, like, the crushing you know. took some time, but yeah, okay. No, no, you. of course. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it took some, I mean, it took some no, time. No, it was like, it, it actually goes into your, it yeah. goes into your question. Yeah, like, carry on, on. Yeah, no, no, yeah, carry yeah. on, carry on. Yeah. And, and I just think that there's an interesting thing about being so grounded and comfortable. Like, I've, yeah. I, I'm enjoying this conversation. Right. It's, it's fun. We're like, just having a real conversation. Right. But at the same time, to a lot of people externally, you can start becoming more unrelatable. So what's interesting is this, the reason I, the reason I put it in, the reason I say the crushing wasn't instant. Yeah. Um, when you're on a journey, people oftentimes will remember the beginning of the journey and they will define the journey by the way it currently is or how it ended. Mm. You know, mm. you lived a good life because of how your life ended. If somebody is, you know, really poor for 80 years, then they win the lottery at 80 and then they buy their family stuff and they have a good, people be like, man, it was tough, buddy. You had a good life. Yeah. You know? It's like, wow. Well, did wow. they though? Yeah. Did they though? It's more like, oh, we remember, we, that, that ending is, is, is what we often remember. Mm. And to your point of, of relatable, my journey was really interesting, particularly in America, because for many months, maybe even a year and a bit, I was hated you know, by many people. Don't get me wrong, there were many people who loved me, but it was such a visceral, understandable, but still visceral response to me as a concept. Mm. Who are you? How dare you? You're on the show. You know, and you're trying to establish, imagine trying to meet people for the first time but they have an idea of you and they've already decided what oh, the idea of you yeah. is. Oh, gosh, yeah. And so you, you, you can't even relate yeah. or make yourself relatable to them. And then overnight, all of a sudden, people go, oh, you're crushing it. It's a, it's a, it's a really weird space to be in because mm. it's, it's terrible and then it's not, but your brain doesn't shift that quickly. I remember learning once that the human brain and, and the human body aren't necessarily always on the same page. Mm. If you're running from danger 
if there's, if there's a threat and you run from the danger, even when the danger subsides, your body's still in the danger. And yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think they talk about something similar in the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. But yeah, it's, a great book. Your body's still there. Mm. Your mind goes, oh, all right, oh, okay, I'm done. Your body's like, oh, heart pumping, you know, veins throbbing. Everything is still happening. And, and you know, that, that was part of my experience. But what was interesting was, to your point of relatable, I didn't even have a moment to exist in, in relatable. <laughs> it was stranger, you know, don't like different, weird, why do you say words the way you do? You know, what is aluminium? All these things coming together. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, yeah, our guy, you know, which I'm yeah. grateful for, yeah. eternally grateful for. I always yeah. tell my, my people, everyone, I go, yo, do not forget. Do not forget how hard this was. Do not forget, you know, do not take it for granted. Mm. But what happens is, it's not that you don't become relatable or you aren't relatable. It's, it's, it's how people relate to you. Mm. They have one idea of, of who you are. They have one idea of, of how you are. And it's understandable because of how they interact with you. You know, I, I, have, I have two younger brothers, both, in my opinion, far wiser than I'll ever be. I always, I always you know, I'll, I'll cuss them out and say, you guys, you guys cheated because you, you like took what I did and then you just like, you leapfrogged me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and, and my youngest brother said one of the most beautiful things one day. We were trying to have dinner as a family and we're taking a quiet moment and, you know, someone came over to the table and they're like, hey, can I get a selfie? And, and this is happening in the dinner. And, mm. you know, and, and, and someone who was with us said, oh, man, that must get annoying. And I was like, well, I get it. And I said, I just don't understand the familiarity and the, I, I don't understand it truly. And my brother said one of the most interesting things. He said, no, what you're not understanding is a disconnect in your relationship, in the relatability. He said, you've met them and they've talked to you and you've had a conversation with them. And so they've built up a relationship with you, but they don't understand that you haven't been building up the same relationship with them. And so wow. they, he said, they're reacting to you as naturally as they would had you been conversating with wow, them constantly. yeah. And so he said, if anything, they're acting normally. Mm. You're acting weird. Because they go, hey, Trevor. And you're like, who the hell are you? And they're like, what do you mean? We've been friends for seven years. I watch you on TV every day. <laughs> yeah. And just through that lens, he helped me understand that it's, it's that they were misrelating. Yes. And that's sometimes what happens to us, I think, as people is we're misrelating. Yes. We have an idea of the thing that isn't incorrect from our point of view, yes, but is incorrect from the other person's point of view. And so that's what creates the conflict. Wow, you know, yeah, That's, that's yeah, what creates yeah, yeah. The, the disconnect. And that's what creates the loneliness. That's what creates the isolation. That's what creates the, you know, yeah, it, it, it creates an environment that doesn't lend itself to familiarity, to trust, to relaxation. I think that's where it becomes even more important yeah. to find your grounding to find your space, to find you. Like my friends know me in the group. I'm notorious as the vacation guy. I'm the holiday guy. <laughs> yeah. Really, I'm like, where are we going? What are we doing? We're making this happen. I shoot out a list and everything because I don't live back home. Yes, They yes. all do. Mm -hmm. So I've learned they can take for granted the fact that we'll see each other and they might go like, oh, did we plan anything for December? Oh, we didn't. Oh, well, well, we'll, we'll do. Uh, no, I can't take yes. that for granted. 
Yes. And so they know. I go every year. I'm like, guys, what are we doing? And what are we doing here? Three times a year, we have to be in the same place. That's amazing. And, and it doesn't mean we're going somewhere fancy. No, we might yeah. just find a place, a house, and we sit together, and that's what it's going to be. Beautiful. But I make it happen because of that relatability, because that is where I can exist, they can exist. I can exist, they can exist. You know, Because yeah. sometimes what's funny is it can go the other way for me. <laughs> sometimes I will completely be myself with people, and they won't know what to do with it because yes. <laughs> they only have one idea of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So they'll meet me and, Trevor, hey, how are you? Hey, hey, buddy, hey, blah, blah. And if I say something back and they go, hey, wait, what was that? I'm like, oh, this is all of me. Yeah. They don't have a reference point. Yeah. And I get that. And yeah. so I, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting when you exist in a one-dimensional space in terms of, you know, you know, I guess it would be unidirectional. It's like, you know, it's just going in that one direction as yeah. opposed to it coming back and going, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's such a great answer. I, I'm one of those people that like, generally, if I get enough time to meet someone or if I know someone's going to be in my life for mm -hmm. an extended period of time, i.e. I hire a new person on my team or something like that, I try and show them all of me very quickly. <laughs> I'm not one of those people that are like, okay, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be as jokey as I usually am. I'm going to expose you to how I talk to my wife. Like, Interesting. And I do that not as a not as a, I definitely do it as a conscious, yeah. it's not like it happens. It's a conscious attempt at trying to figure out whether this person actually wants to be around me or like me. Because I'd rather quickly figure out whether I feel chemistry with someone yes. as opposed to wait to reveal my full self right. for them to, what you said, to right. then let them down. And then they're like, oh, George, I didn't know you were like this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I, I usually warn people, I'm like, hey, I, I make a lot more jokes in person than I do on, on Instagram. And so if I'm like, and I banter a lot because of Britain. Yes, and so of right. me and my wife will banter a lot. So most people think me and my wife are gonna get a divorce every other day <laughs> because it is like the way we talk to each yes, other because we're yeah. both from England. It, I, I want people to be exposed to that, not because I, I want them to appreciate or like it. I just want to know quickly whether, whether you vibe with aren't me you, or not. Okay, so, but, but yeah. aren't you ever concerned going the other way? Because you may go, this is me, this is all of me. Yeah. Now, depending on your position in life, the person may be a certain way to you sure. based on that. Sure. Because they feel they can't, and then they reveal themselves. Then what do you do? When they reveal themselves in a positive or like a challenging well, way? Well, challenging way. In a challenging way, then, well, that's what I'm saying, that it's people that I, I think are going to be in my life for a okay. longer period of okay. time. And then if it's, a, if it's a team member where right. we don't get along, then we can both move on and mm -hmm. go our separate mm -hmm. ways. I wouldn't do it with someone that I am not getting enough quality time with. How does with. a monk fire someone? How does a monk fire? Well, I'm not a monk anymore. I'm a, I'm, I I'm now, like, <laughs> I'd love to know how does a monk fire, like you sit the person oh, down. Oh, God, it is. Uh, you know what? The thing about it, it is so uncomfortable. Oh, it is. It is so okay. I thought maybe as a monk it was like super chill, no. and you just come in and you go. In life, <laughs> everything is happening to you. You know, everything that seems bad could be good, and so do not think of this as me letting you go, but rather think of this as me setting you free. Yeah. I thought maybe it would be something more Surrender. Like that. <laughs> no, then you have to end it with surrender. No, that would be brilliant. But so it is uncomfortable. Oh, it's so okay. uncomfortable. As in. I've also been let go, yes. so I know what it yes. feels like. Yeah. Like I've been in a position where I think I've been let go poorly, where it hasn't been handled oh, well. Where, okay. And I'm very clear on how like having one skill set yeah. doesn't just naturally apply to everything. Right. I being a monk doesn't make me good at recruiting people or, or letting uh -huh. go of people. Those are not transferable skills. There's certain elements of compassion and empathy, okay. but it doesn't make you good you at the art. don't assume that it will cover everything. And it doesn't, okay. it doesn't, right? Like I, I think for, a, to give you a, a very practical example, 
I felt for a lot of a long time that people needed love. Like I, I felt for a long time that I believed that if you love people, then they'll mm-hmm. be happy and they'll feel good about stuff. And I used to believe that. And after trying to express love to people, even in the way they wanted, so not even unconsciously, but I would try and figure out how does this person receive love? Okay, mm-hmm. let me give mm-hmm. them love in the way they want to receive love. I realized that so many people were not even operating on that level yet mm. that all they needed was safety. Damn. Like they just needed a base level of safety. They weren't, they couldn't even accept or receive love because that was such a lofty, deep idea. Right. It's like they, they didn't understand how someone who doesn't know mm-hmm. them very well could express that deep love for them because they've never experienced that before. How yeah. do you find the correct safety to convey? And, and what I mean by that is we all have a different idea of what safety means, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Going yeah. back to the, your idea of, you know, when you were saying stability, instability earlier in the conversation, yeah. one of the wildest discoveries I made in therapy was where I was speaking to my therapist and I realized I am particularly comfortable in chaos. Mm. That is where I'm most comfortable. Mm. You know, if, if you're in an airport and, you, you know, flights are being canceled and, you know, everything's being delayed, you want me rolling with you. <laughs> like I'm, that is me. Problem, yeah. I solve it. I genuinely, mm. I find a beautiful hum of peace that comes over me yes. when there is chaos. Traffic, everything, cars, not, that's yes. where I'm comfortable. And yet the flip, I also discovered was true, is that when there's calm, now I'm in chaos. Wow. You know, and so I learned that I felt safest Mm. where most people didn't. Yes. And I felt the least safe Mm. where most people would. Yeah. And I learned a lot of that came because growing up in a home where there was domestic abuse, you, you know, the, the silence meant you didn't know. Mm, mm. anything could happen at any moment what's going on what's happening you don't know you don't know but when something is happening all you have to do is deal with it yeah wow i mean that's do do you yeah i mean i mean but that's like that's such a challenging difficult idea right for people to grasp because what you're saying is if i can hear gunshots Exactly. At least I know. Well, I know the where the shooting's go- coming from. Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Which, I know where to run away to, from, except you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. I fully get what you're saying, but I'm just saying that that is a challenging concept for people to get mm. around because if you've not been brought, if you've not been raised in a space like that, like right. that's so much to do with your upbringing. Yeah, and, that, but, but that's what yeah. I mean by safety. So yeah, that's why I'm asking yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So how, what do you, I'm, how do you even find that? Because, you know, I understand what you mean by love because, yeah. again, how we process it, what our yeah. languages are, et cetera, yeah. are, so, are so specific. But even safety. Yeah. You know, my my idea of safety isn't the same as your idea of, of safety. Of course not, yeah. You know, whether it'll be in a personal relationship, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. You know, some people's idea of safety is, hey, you you text me every day and you, exactly. you call me to make sure I got home. And you another person's idea of safety is, you leave me alone when I'm busy. That makes me feel safe. You take care of yourself yeah. makes me feel safe. You, you know what I mean? So how do you then find what the person's idea of safety is yeah. there. Well, I think it's what you just said, that there's a hierarchy of needs, right? And mm-hmm. everyone has mm-hmm. their different, like you said, like the, the, the base level, and I'm looking at the Vedas, which is what I studied as a monk, and it says that the base level of anyone's motivator is 
fear and anxiety, right? Like people get motivated by fear and anxiety. So the lack of fear and anxiety is a sense of safety, Okay. right? Higher than that is someone who's motivated by uh, results or goals. So they feel safe when they're moving towards something. They feel mm. safe when they're driving towards a deadline okay. that is clear and active. Another level is tranquility and calm. And it's like someone feels safe when they feel clarity. Okay. Right? And so in the, similar what you're right, saying, right, like there's right, some, right. so okay. I think what I realized though was that safety was such a base need of humans. Right. That until you fulfilled that need, huh. it love just, and, and this is just experience, right? No, I'm, yeah, I'm no. saying this and from I, experience. Yeah. I just felt like opening my heart to people or like trying to give love to people in a very genuine way. Yeah. I just felt that it it couldn't fully be received because I realized most people have probably never received love even f- maybe from their parents or their family or from the people they expected to love them. So when someone unexpected comes along and tries to show you love, it's right. like, what is it, what does he want or what is this going on? Or, you know, where does this land? And so I was like, all right, like reel it back. <laughs> you know, reel it back and just figure out safety first. Damn. Anyway, that was at least a personal experience. But 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 why did we get there? We got there because... We're talking about this idea with you of like, you know. We're talking about relatability. Yeah. And we're, and we're moving through to, you know, safety and love and then yeah. meeting people. And you're talking about how you um, will reveal all of yourself early on that, so that the person, I guess, is in the safest space, really. Yeah. And th- and that's only my method. I'm, again, I'm yeah, not saying yeah. that's right or wrong. Right. It's just kind of, and even what you said earlier, like you said, like, Jay, you always feel safe. I think I, do, I feel the opposite too. I feel most unsafe when I think I'm somewhere and I don't have a purpose there. Okay. So if I get invited to a place where I don't feel I have any purpose, you will see me just like, I will last like 30 minutes and then I will leave. (laughs) Because I'm just like, what am I going to do here? I'm not just going to shoot the breeze. So do you practice Uh, then not doing? Being in my purpose? Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm in a space like that, I will, I will look at, I will, I will be there. Of course I can, I can have conversations and I can talk and everything else. You're not crying in a corner or something. No, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah, But I'm saying, but do you, do you then, what I'm asking is, do you have to work on that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's a discomfort. Yes. It's a discomfort that I have to work on, which is, well, I don't know why I'm here. Uh I don't know what my purpose Uh is. And then the, and then sometimes my way of talking to myself is, you never know. There may be something yes, here, right? Uh, and you have to be open to that. If I if I live if I sit here and I'm close to that, mm-hmm. then I may never discover anything. Mm-hmm. If I'm open to it, maybe I'll discover something. Maybe I won't. How do you and, find the balance between knowing when to walk away and when the opportunity may present itself? Such I, a great I feel question. Like, I feel like that's the greatest <clears throat> challenge in life because sometimes you you find yourself at an event, whatever it may be, a work event, yeah. a friend, whatever it may be, you go, oh man, I'm not having fun here. I'm not having a good time. I'm not. And then as you say, the one idea may be, hey, stay in this discomfort. And what may come from it is something special, which yeah. oftentimes can happen. The flip is true as well. I stayed there for too long. I stayed in that relationship for too long. I stayed at that job for too long. I, yeah. I, I stayed in that environment for too long. It was discomfort and I thought I was going to get something out of it. I often hear people saying that even, you know, they'll, they'll you know, friends, colleagues, strangers sometimes I'll meet, they'll say, yeah, but I, I've just, it, it, I've been doing it for so long now yeah. and I just feel like maybe there's, there's, there's something and, and, you know, and then I, I will say, and I don't know if even if, if I'm right, I go, maybe the lesson you're learning is when to walk away yes. or how to walk away, but I don't even know this myself yeah, as Trevor, yeah. you know, you may leave the thing that that's making you uncomfortable. 
because of that, you have a serendipitous experience. Totally. And you go, oh, that's why I left, because this was supposed to happen. You, we always confirm. Yeah. We always <laughs> have that confirmation bias. Absolutely. Or yeah. you stay and then something happens and you go like, ah, oh, I was always supposed to stay. Yeah. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you know or do you accept the fact that you don't know? I think that's, I think you literally just answered. <laughs> you like, okay. what took us on the whole journey? All right, I'm just yeah, you sure. don't. Yeah, you, no, no, you're spot on. You don't know. Like, you don't know, right? Like, and okay. and oh. you can only, you can only, I, I think it's also a matter of time, right? I think if I was and this is again personal, but there's a difference between like, if we got here on this beautiful setup that we have that you were mm -hmm. admiring and you are saying you like the energy in here, I do too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we got here on Friday, which was when we first started filming here, mm -hmm. if I didn't like it on Friday, if I didn't like the energy yeah. and I could tell the guest didn't like the energy, I would have shifted the room immediately. Okay. Because I'm not gonna wait around if I'm clear on something okay. or I'm, I'm sensing it. Right. I think jobs are harder because they're they tied provide to our survival. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think when things are tied to your survival, we tend to spend longer in them than we probably should. Yeah. Because that safety again and security right. is so tied to that. Right. And I think that's why relationships, as you rightly pointed out, homes. Yes. Like I, I was just talking, my my uncle and aunt, like, uh, you know, my, my grandparents have passed away, they've moved on. And, you know, they've been wanting to move home, they've said for many, many years, but now Old they don't. Uh, they live in London okay. and they have a house yeah. and they want to they want to move to a, a a different environment they've right, always wanted. Right. But now they're like, no, no, but all our memories in this yes. house, right? And so right. there's that there's that familiarity yeah. and they're like, no, I don't want to leave even though I don't love this house mm -hmm. as a structure and as a space. I don't want to leave. And I think that's what we do with people. Yeah. But but I guess that that's a good question for you that you've you've obviously had to find home again and again. You've continued to find it in yourself. Like how have you let go of previous identities and personalities? And are you, because that's where we started. Like, I think I've had to do that a lot of times. Like even when you said monk and I always say, well, I'm not anymore. And the reason I say that is because I had to let go of so many oh, that's parts okay. of that identity that don't serve me anymore. Okay. There are lots of parts of that identity that serve me massively. There are lots of parts of that identity that don't serve right. me anymore. Uh, same with uh, same with anything, like mm -hmm. any work I've done. So I guess today when you're deciding who you want to be, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I've taken away from this episode for sure and talking to you, and I, I genuinely enjoy talking to you, is we know you're a very smart, intellectual, thoughtful person about what's happening in the world. But what I find really beautiful and refreshing is that today you're doing the same things internally on your inner world. Has that always been a habit? You even said t today when you walked in, before we even started recording, you were like, Jay, when I've been on all day, I need to just reflect and decompress and think about stuff. Has that always been a habit? Is there a method you use? Is there, a, is there an approach? Or is it just something you naturally just go into that inner world? Although I'm not particularly religious, I would have to say growing up religious instilled within me the idea that I could have conversations with myself and they were necessary in order for me to process what I was going through. Wow. You know, that's, that's what prayer is, in my opinion. It's a conversation that you are having multiple times a day. You are remembering, you are thinking, you are discussing, you are exposing your vulnerabilities, you are, whatever it may be, you are, you're doing. Mm. In, in doing that as a little child, you know, getting on my knees and praying, one of my favorite lessons that my mom taught me was that your relationship with God is your relationship with God. You know, she, if I was in trouble, she wouldn't say to me, pray in front of me. Let me hear you pray. 
No, she'd be like, you go and, go and pray. And so what I am grateful for in that experience was that my relationship with God was then always my relationship with God. It was my conversation. It wasn't performative. It, it wasn't, I, I remember as a little kid, just like asking random questions, you know, I'd go to bed and I'd be like, oh God, oh man, why do I break things all the time? Like, why? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, you were there with me. I don't know why. Why don't you stop me sometimes? Like, you know, you never stop me. And I'd just be there as a kid and I would, I don't want to break things, but then I broke it and I knew it was going to break. And now mom's angry and ah, please try and make her not as angry. But I'd have these conversations and yeah. I would feel different afterwards. Mm. I would feel better. Mm. I'd feel like I'd processed something. Mm. And that is an element of prayer that I think a lot of people take for granted is that processing of the information that's oftentimes just running away in your head, mm. like just really running away in your head. In that, I, I just try and ask questions. I always tell people, you know, I go like, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm smart. I think, mm. I'm, I think I, I'm more and more confident in being an idiot, to be honest with you. You know, I, I have friends who I consider smart because I can ask them about anything. You know, mm. I have friends who know about you know, quantum gravity and whatever it is, space books. I always go like, you're reading space books again. <laughs> I have friends who know about, you know, the, the deepest trenches of, of football history. I know friends who, they, I, they're smart in my opinion, but I'm proud to say mm. I'm an idiot. And so when you let go of that sometimes, what I find is I, I then enjoy asking questions. Yeah, yeah, You know, I... Yeah. In most of my work, that's what I'm doing is I'm asking questions. As a comedian, I'm asking questions of how we live in society. Yeah. Why do we accept certain things the way we do? And I think it's funny that we do. And have you ever noticed how? And, and that's what a lot of comedians do. Yeah. They're asking a question about something that everybody accepts as the norm. You know, I do it in, in my job on The Daily Show. I ask questions about how people see politics and why they see politics and, you know, whatever it may be. I ask questions, you know. I remember one day someone said to me, some random person who said to me, he's like, oh, it's crazy. You know, you came to this country and, you know, as a Democrat, you probably, I say, whoa, wait, what do you mean as a <clears throat> Democrat? In my country, we don't have that. Yeah. And many political parties, we're not forced into a binary system. Mm. That's already, you didn't ask a question, you made an assumption, mm. you know? And so even that has helped me where I come from. There is not just this or that. Yeah. In America, yeah. it has like a very, very player-hating vibe to it. It's like, look what that party's doing and look what that, and it's like, yeah, but what, you know what I mean? If you're voting for these things, shouldn't you be concerned about what you're going for? Wow. You know? wow. It's your party. Yeah. You know? And so, but as a comedian, I'm going like, where are the jokes? <laughs> I'll follow the jokes. I'll tell you that much. Because yeah. that's what my purpose is in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this goes to everything I do in life. You know, I've been lucky enough to work on different projects like mm. yourself. You know, I work in tech. I work with Microsoft on things. Funny, the, I remember the, the president of the company one day said, he's like, we're going to call you the chief questions officer from now on. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, because I've been lucky and, you know, yeah. I love tech. Yeah. And a lot of tech is asking questions. Mm. A lot of what I do in life is enjoying asking questions mm. and becoming less afraid of how stupid you may seem or feel asking the question. Yeah. That's oftentimes what I, I see with kids. The reason they learn as quickly as they do, it's not just because of their brains, yeah. but I feel like it's because they, they don't have an idea of who they are or aren't supposed to be. And so they ask questions mm. and they ask questions and they ask questions and they ask questions and they ask questions and they ask questions. And so what happens is, A, they get answers, but B, 
they discover that the people they're asking the questions of sometimes don't even have the answer. They just assumed an idea or, or wow. the way, you know, the way the world was. And I, I often remind myself that if I, if I become too tied to the idea of being smart or being informed or knowing, then I'm trapped. I, I would rather say, I try to be smart. Yeah. I try to be informed. But if there's one thing I know I am, well, it's an idiot and there's nothing wrong with that and I enjoy it. You know, because then I can be the smartest idiot you've ever met and I can be the most informed <laughs> idiot you've ever met. And I'm fine with that because I'm just trying to be the most natural me. That's, that's, a, that's a good identity. One thing I've noticed about the way you ask questions in our interview when you interviewed me, but also today, and something I appreciate and it was, it's, it's rare is I think most people, when you were saying like someone assumed you were a Democrat, I think most people ask questions in order to either agree or disagree with what comes out the other person's mouth. Yeah. But we ask our best questions when we simply ask to learn and infer. And so now it's not asking to see whether we right. are on the same page. You're just asking to know. Because I think what we often do is we ask a question, and even if the base answer kind of sounds similar, we go, oh, we're on the same page. Like, oh, me that's and you, you know, we like, yeah, we have the same values. And it's like, well, no, we don't. We just haven't dug deep enough. Mm -hmm. And I think we're often not patient. And I think that's why in so many relationships in our lives and everywhere, mm. what you said, you said a friend is someone who I know how they'd be in most yes. situations. Yes. And I think when you quickly go, oh yeah, yeah, we have the same values, we have the same belief system, that, that's often incorrect because we just haven't asked enough questions to infer because we really want to feel, does that, oh, does like that hit that. in that's, there? Yeah. Yeah, that does actually. I feel like that when you ask questions. And so I'm, I'm throwing well, that back at you saying well, when, when so, you ask questions, I'm so like... So going back to what we were talking about, yeah. about being an outsider, being an insider, where do I find home? Where do I find yeah. famili familiarity? You are familiar with this to a certain degree because of moving out of the UK, going to India, you know, going on that journey and then moving from there and then coming to America. It's another... One, one thing that happens to you when you leave home is that you have to then either find home or you have to understand why this is home or you have to become comfortable in a new space so that it will be your new, your new home. Mm. And the best way to do that is by understanding, is what I find. Mm. Oftentimes you aren't forced to understand if you are in the majority. If, if the norm is your world, you're fine. Yeah. If everyone has your accent, well, then you don't need to understand another accent. Yes. If everybody is your skin color, you don't need to understand another skin color. Everybody's your culture. If everybody is your language, if everybody is your, you know, socioeconomic class, whatever it may be, mm. then you don't need to understand. Mm. And so what I've grown up with, because I grew up with a black woman, Hossa woman being my mother, white man, Swiss man being my father, family mixed, country broken up, separated because of class, because of race predominantly, I, I found myself often having to understand mm -hmm. whatever it was, language, culture, music, food, idea, I have to understand. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that is often the fastest path to home is just understanding. You know, a hammock is a terrible bed unless you understand how to sleep in it. <laughs> And I think the same goes for everyone and everything. A foreign country doesn't feel like home until you understand the language. 
Mm. And then all of a sudden things start to work. Yeah. You know, so when I ask a question of you as Jay, I genuinely do it to understand, you know, because if, you know, with you, I, I agree and I'm genuinely trying to understand more yeah, because yeah, I know, the yeah. things I may disagree with funny enough more is like how I'm living my life and I'm trying to understand more about like how you see and then how do I, you know, it's not to agree or disagree, but more to be like, oh, I need to yeah, understand this that's more. Ins- yeah. And then sometimes it'll be with people where I don't agree with them. So I want to understand. Yeah. I see the world and it seems so clear to me. Can you explain why you don't see what I'm seeing? Yeah. You know, that's, that's oftentimes what plagues me as, as a person is I think we live in a world now where there are fewer and fewer experiences that we all relate to or that we've all gone through. And so while that's great for individualism and it's great for us, you know, living in our own niche, it has robbed us of a collective understanding. And so whether it's in politics or whether it's in society, whatever it is, you know, I think it's healthy to disagree. Yeah, you know, to so say do like, I. You know, Jay, oh, I don't think that that's that. I, but it's another thing to say, you know, oh, that's my parking. No, that's my parking. Versus, that's my parking. What parking? <laughs> Wait, you don't see a parking? Well, now we're in a bigger, and I, that's why yeah. I feel like society is moving towards, as, as everything, entertainment, social mm. media, all these things become more niche. I think we're losing that collective space to be in, and so. Because I've always been outside, yes. because I've never been part of, I've always been forced to understand. Mm. Why do you do that? Why do you say that? How do you eat this? You know, so when I'm in India and I'm eating and I go, okay, can you help me? Help me understand why you use your hand the way you do. What are you trying to, okay, great. Chopsticks for the first time I have to, all these things as yeah. opposed to assuming or even not being willing to. And so maybe that's why I ask a question the way I do yeah. is because... I just don't understand why you see the world the way you do. And once I do, I now get to hold two truths. I get to see how you see the world. I get to know how I see the world. And I may augment my way of seeing it, or I'll be able to help you understand why I see it the way I do, because I now understand yours. Yeah. I don't think I can do that if I, if I don't ask. Absolutely. You know? that, that's exactly what I'm trying to say is that when I was saying learn, that's what I mean, understand. Like you're asking to learn, you're asking to understand. You, there's not an asking to say, yes, we're the same or no, we're not the mm-hmm. same. And, and I, I read somewhere when, when I was looking at this interview about how you were saying like, because you've never felt of something, yeah. you've always felt outside, you've always been able to see the full picture. And I was literally just saying this today that I grew up in a home where my parents rarely agreed mm-hmm. on anything. Mm-hmm. And I was always the mediator. Interesting. And so I would sit and listen to my mom and I would understand how, how she Interesting. felt. And then I'd sit and listen to my dad. And I always had an equal level of love and respect for them from their individual relationship right, with me, right, even right. though collectively they, yeah. didn't, they didn't have it together. And I found that when I read that about you, I, I, I was wanting to ask you about it because I was like, that's where I, I feel happier learning about people and trying yeah. to understand yeah. people because I could see both my mom and dad mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. right in so many ways. Like I would sit with my mom and be like, how does dad not see that? Right. And I would sit with dad and be like, how does mom not see that? Like, how are we missing this part of the picture? And I failed miserably at trying to help the situation. Right. But I think that's partly why I do what I do today yes. because so much of me was exposed to uh-huh. different uh-huh. opinions. So I, when, I, when I read that about you, I was like, I'd love to know, how did you deal with that feeling? Like, how did you deal with the idea? And I know you, you, you're saying it flippantly in conversation, yeah. but like, yeah. how did you deal with the pressure 
and the idea that you failed to reconcile what was happening between the two of them? I think it took me years to accept that and to, to feel that way. Because I think when you're a kid, it's what you said, you just accept that this is normality. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, I didn't even think of it. Right. So this is normal. Parents don't get along. I want to help my mom out. I'm a good son. I want to help my dad yeah. out. You know, we're figuring it out. And I'd probably say I spent a good part of like, at least my adult life. So say from, well, maybe not even adult, maybe since I was 10, like maybe from 10 to 21, like probably wow. 11 yeah. years trying to fix that and trying to think I could fix mm -hmm. that or that we could improve it. And while things got better... Sorry, just to yeah. interrupt you. Yeah. To your point, because you were trying to create the safety. Yes. As a child, I feel like there are a few things that make you feel less safe than your two parental figures, you know? Sorry, but carry on. No, so no, no, it's please. Interesting. No, no, I'm just saying no, going back yeah. to the safety that yeah, you were saying. You exactly. were trying to make your world Because safe. love didn't work. It didn't, it didn't matter how many Valentine's Days there yes. were. It didn't matter how many yeah. romantic gestures. It didn't matter yeah. lo saying I love you or right. a love letter. But it was safety, yeah. And so... I was trying that probably for a good 11 years. And then I think when I went off to the monastery, it was still there in my heart. And then I think while I was there, I was like, okay, I have to let go of this because it's not my responsibility. It's not my ability. Mm. I don't have the powers to fix this. Mm. And that's okay. And that if I'm able to let go of this, then not only will things improve there, I can help people who want to be mm. helped as well. And I think that was a whole like probably like a 15 year journey yeah. to, to get to that because otherwise you hold it as your right. like your like responsibility. Like this is my job almost. Yeah, and I think that's what many of us have done is yeah. we have been burdened with, and oftentimes subconsciously, a job or a role that our parents didn't realize they were burdening us with. Wow. You know, oftentimes I I find it so interesting how the loudest parents who aren't good at reading a room will have the, the most shy child. Yes. You know, and, and then the parents who aren't good at being outgoing and they'll have kids who are running and screaming and greeting everybody and talking to them because there's this interesting thing that happens in nature where I feel like, you know, the child tries to correct for what the parent may be lacking. Wow. You know? So true. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's really fascinating that you say that. Yeah, because what happens is over time, you get to an age where then you have to take off, you know, that armor, take off that cape, take yeah. off that, that designation. That designation, yes. And understand that now you've lived that, you've gained the tools from it. It's become a lot of who you are today, but you have to let it go. And that, that I find is terrifying because the only thing scarier than accepting who we are is accepting that we don't know who we are going to be when we let go of the things that have made us who we are today. Yeah. And that's that not knowing as simple as leaving a party early. Yeah. It's that same feeling yeah. of discomfort of like, did I make the right choice? Yeah. Like if I stayed here, would it have, if I kept that role, mm -hmm. would it have? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was talking to a client the other day and she said something really interesting. She was saying, I just never grew up with an opinion. She goes, I've, I've just never really had an opinion. And I've known her for some time, so it was a fairly, yeah, uh, yeah. It, was a, it was a progressed conversation. It wasn't the first time. And, and we were talking about that. She was saying, well, I've never really had an opinion on this or that. And so when, when people ask me what I want to do or when my partner asks me what I want to do, I, I kind of like go along with it. But now I'm starting to question, like, am I living my life or yeah, someone else's? Right. And it was really interesting because we, we were really getting into it. And I, I started talking to her about her parents and family dynamic. 
And she said something really phenomenal to me. She said that my brother and my dad always used to argue and I was the peacemaker. Mm. And she goes, when I felt pain, I never shared it because it would create more complexity. Right. And so I accept that she came to the conclusion that the reason I don't have an opinion is because it disturbs the peace. Oof. And when I yeah. don't have an opinion, the peace is kept. And I was, you know, th those are the kind of things that we're saying. Like we take the designation of peacemaker. You take the role in the designation of whatever I was. Yes. So sometimes the comedians take on the role of oh, being a comedian yeah. Yeah. because you you kind of get around to laugh and everyone, you know. And so I think these roles that you're talking about are really, it's a really beautiful way that you said it, that we we adopt this job and this role and this yeah, designation. I, I, think, I think we do. And I often think sometimes it is necessary. Of course. I think it may be evolutionary. I, whatever it is, I, you know, again, that's why I don't go to, it's bad, it's good. I go, it is. It is, It just yeah. is. And, and in understanding it, I realize there's nothing wrong with it being as long as you know when to let it go. Mm. You know, I, I often think of that about seatbelts. When I'm in a car or on a plane, sometimes I forget that I'm wearing the seatbelt. I love wearing my seatbelts, especially on a plane. I, I buckle it long before they tell me. I'm like in strapped. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I love it. Spackled the whole in. flight, even when you see it go off, you're still I'm that, You know when they'll turn seatbelt like on? I'm yeah. like, what do you mean on? <laughs> The whole flight, I will be wearing the seatbelt. Thank you very much. <laughs> and what will happen sometimes, I'm so comfortable, it's been there the whole time. When we land, we, we chill. I don't rush to get my bags, any of that. And then I'll stand and the seatbelt will pull me. And it's always like, a, I, I laugh to myself. It always happens because it's, it's really down. And it just, you know, yeah. as I jump, I was like, it pulls me back down. And I always giggle and I, I, I unbuckle it. And I, I, I found myself thinking the one day, I was like, it's amazing how this, this device is, is, is brilliant. It saves mm -hmm. your life. You know, in a car crash, you know, you, you know, plane crash on a runway or whatever. I don't know how much it'll save you in a big one, but still, you know. Mm. But this thing is, it, it holds you. Mm. Wow. Mm. It's helping you stay intact. It's helping you stay in the place you need to be in. But if you don't know how to let it go when you need to, now you're trapped. Yeah. And, and so that's what I'm constantly trying to work on, which is so hard. Jay. Yeah, it's like, yeah. man, I go like, okay, all right, my, sa my safety belt, my seatbelt, all right. It might be my personality, it might be the way I see the world, it might be yeah. how I've learned to interact with others, it might be anything, how I eat, how I think, what I do, what I don't, what I love, what I were, all these things. And, and I get that. And I, I always just try and ask myself, like, okay, all right, is this still your seatbelt or has it now become a trapping? And I always just have to ask myself that question. It's extremely difficult. I spend, wow. you know, <laughs> you just go round and round. And sometimes say, yeah. I do. You know, yeah, yeah, a of lot course. of the time I'll 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 be chill. Yeah. Sometimes, whew. I don't think I can watch Harry Potter the same again. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I don't think I can be on a plane the same again. Like, and I, I yeah, I love how you think. I I think it's so refreshing to to hear that. And I I the biggest thing I'm taking about this is just this ability to really question our lives, question things. I think mm. I think that is the the purpose of life is is to start asking right. questions and what i loved about at least at least the scriptures i studied on the eastern side they're all q and a's like they're all q question and answer really sessions. none of them are like talking or lecturing or these are the vedas you're talking the about? vedas yeah, yeah. yeah they're all q and a's and i think that was a big part of how we were trained to believe that all inquiry was the birth of wisdom like it had to be I an like inquiry that. it had to be a conversation like it couldn't be a a lecture or a seminar I like that. 
And, and you know, I, I think when I sit with you and whenever I've sat with you and whenever I've watched you, which I've admired you for so long, I, I think the, the quality of questioning is really what we should be more focused on than, mm. than the result and the answers, as you were saying earlier, that if we asked questions we were actually interested in knowing the answer <laughs> to, we'd actually listen yeah, to right. the answer. But Trevor, we end the show with two segments. These okay. are fast segments. Okay. Uh, you've been more than generous with your time. So the first segment is called uh, The Many Sides to Us. Okay. And so these you have to answer in one word. Okay. And there's five questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is one word to describe what someone would say about you meeting you for the first time? Friendly. Friendly. Okay, yeah. Friends and friendly. Two different mm -hmm. things, but friendly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, question number two. What is one word to describe what someone would say about you that knows you extremely well? Consistent. Nice. Okay. Question number three. Uh, what is one word you'd use to describe yourself? Mercurial. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to have to ask you to expand. <laughs> like, that, that, I was not expecting that word. That is a very, yeah. Tell me why that word. Like, you can now go off one word. Like. I'm consistent in the fact that I'm also mercurial. Part of it, funny enough, I, I think was not created by, but as, as somebody who has ADHD, it took me a long time to learn in life what that did to my brain, mm. how that affected how I process time, an idea, a thought, a, uh, an object. Any, any inquiry that I would have could be in some way, shape, or form affected by that. And I think, funny enough, there's a, there's a huge misunderstanding. Sometimes I actually you know, hate how we've created a lot of the conversations around the mind is the best way to put it. You know, because, Tell me. Uh, because some, of the, some of the terms... Have, have become so rote and mm. some of the ideas have become so simple when they're not. Um, I remember when I was young and I was diagnosed with ADHD, they made, they made it seem like you can't pay attention when in fact, it's the fact that you can't choose what to pay, pay your attention to. Mm. Very good at paying attention. Yeah. You know? And so, wow, 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 yeah. It's, um, it's a very nuanced, yeah, subtle. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it makes and, a big difference, even though it's a tiny thing. Yeah. And so, what, what, what's been wonderful for me in life is learning again how to be grateful for how I've dealt with something, not even looking at it through the lens of good or bad, but just going it is mm. and then understanding it like that. You know? and, and that's what I mean by I. I think we've really hurt ourselves in society with, with how we've had some conversations because we've made it seem bad or good as opposed to understanding Yeah. because it may not be the same as the norm, you know? So is a short person good or bad? No, they're, they're just short. Mm. And the reason we say short is because they're short relative to the general population. The same way someone who's tall is tall relative to mm -hmm. the general population. Now, if you're tall, you may be bumping your head a lot more than other people. If you're short, you may not be reaching the things that people have put at an average height. I think the same thing goes for the mind. Mm. If you are blessed enough to have a mind or a mentality that is of the norm, most things will work for you and most things will make sense in life. If your mind isn't, that's why they use divergent, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong, but you, you, you need to understand how your mind will react yeah. to a world that has been designed in a certain way. And so that is why I've, I've learned to understand and accept. I go, I'm mercurial. Again, it was a friend who taught me that, and I, I loved it once I understood it. At first, I was, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not. He's like, you, he's like, yeah, you're mercurial. And I was like, first of all, explain the word. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he explained it to me. I was like, I'm not that. I'm the... And then I realized I could, could, I could be two things. Yeah. I'm extremely consistent. 
Anyone who needs me knows me. They know where to find me. They know how I'll be. But I'm also mercurial in that how I feel about this on a day and how I feel about that on a day may be more extreme than somebody else's range. And so in that, again, just the understanding and asking the questions of myself, I then then exist in a space where I understand. So what will be funny is sometimes I'll meet people and they'll get distracted and be like, oh, sorry, that's my ADHD. And I'm like, that's (laughs) not what it is. But yeah, right, 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 whatever. Yeah. You know, that like people have done this with everything. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm OCD. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't, okay. Yeah, that's not what it, yeah. And so we have these very yes. limited understandings of these Caricatures. Words. Yes, caricatures. Of what the exactly. things may be. And we've also created an idea of them being a bad, Correct. good, whatever. Th- it's like, no, it's just understanding. The same thing we did with glasses at some point. Mm. Nearsighted, farsighted, I wear glass. And now, and then at some point it was just, that's what it is. Yeah. I think we have a long way to go in the conversations we have around the mind. Yes. In think- getting us to the same place where when you meet someone, mm. they can say that to you and you now understand that, the, oh, I wear glasses. Okay, great. Yes. You know, yeah. whereas I'm sure there was a point where it was like, I wear glasses. So you're blind? Yeah. And now people are just like, oh, you, do you wear glasses? Oh, you wear, oh, you wear contacts. Okay, yeah. cool. That's that's who you are. Yeah, and I and I think that's what it is that our vocabulary around the mind and Definitely. our psychology is very limited. Yeah. And, and you're spot on. And one thing that you just said that really struck a chord was the idea that if the world is designed for the average, yeah, then the challenge is that anyone outside of it feels broken. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I think we've gone wrong. Where it's like there's a weakness or a broken. Yeah. It's like no, the world. If the world was designed for right those people, right, then we'd feel broken. And it's just that the world's been designed for this few people. If yeah. you created a new planet that was for only people who had a certain certain uh, disposition, yeah. then it would be a very different case. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's a that's a great. That's another whole two hour conversation. That's another. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll save that. Yeah, yeah we we'll save it. All right. Question number four: uh, What is one word uh, that if someone didn't agree with you or like you, how would they? What would they say about you? Not like I'm not talking about like an internet troll or something. Stubborn. Like, Stubborn, right, yeah. okay, yeah, there you go, that's a good word, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good word, that makes sense, I like that. All right, question number five, what is a word that you're trying to embody right now? Is there like a, a focus, a presence with a particular characteristic or value or belief? Mindful. Mm, great, all right, those are great, those are fantastic, most people struggle with those, so you did, you, you hit it out of the park. All right, these are the final five, these are easy, one word to one sentence. What's the best advice you've ever received? Never assume. It's a great piece of advice. Second question, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever heard? Always be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. All right. Uh, there are times yeah, to wait. be yourself. Don't just be yourself. People say, though, re- relax. But you just be yourself. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. yeah. You know when to be yourself is a better piece of advice someone yes. can give you. That's good. Uh, question number three, what is something you used to value that you no longer value? Fame. So there was a time when it was important and... Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I think I, I thought that it would give me something that I searched for my whole life, and that was a certain sense of belonging. You know, because there's a there's a familiarity you have with people when you see them. I never cared for it through the lens of like I'm better. Or yes. Yeah. No, but I was like, oh man, everyone knows that person. Everyone likes that person. And you know, here I was this kid, and I grew up alone for so long. I was like, oh, I I'll be familiar. And the word fame, you know, when you look at the root. I was like, oh, that, that thing, I'll be familiar. And then ironically, as I said, it jumps straight to your unfamiliar. And so then I realized, I was like, oh, man, you don't think that it will come from something, but rather understand what you're trying to achieve and then you know, figure out how you're trying to get there. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, question number four, how would you define your current purpose? 
as being a fertilizer for everything and everyone I come into contact with. I would hope to be somebody who enriches the soil that I touch. I would hope to be somebody who improves somebody's life in the slightest of ways, whether it's helping you solve a problem, whether it's giving you directions in the streets in New York, whether it's uh, making you laugh at a show, you know, talking about politics, whatever it may be. Mm. I would hope to do what a good fertilizer does in that it enables the soil to be richer. It enables the plant to grow taller. It, it, it brings all of the pieces together. You know, it, it, becomes, it becomes a food. It becomes, it becomes a food that creates more food. You know, it, it's, not, it's not a zero-sum game. Mm. And so I would say that that would probably be what I'd like to focus on most right now, even for myself, because fertilizer even makes itself bigger. Yeah. It grows itself. Yeah. You add more mulch to it and it keeps on going. And so I think, I think even for me, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I look to try and fertilize as much as I can. I love that. That is one of my favorite answers to that question we've ever had. All right, uh, fifth and final question of the whole interview. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? Everyone in the world, right? Mm -hmm. I would create a law that said... Everyone, everywhere in the world, randomly, 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 could be given the lowest person's bank account. Like that, it could be like that would be the law. Is that we we do this weird system where every, whenever it may be, every year, randomly, the lowest person's bank account can just go out and become everybody's bank account. Wow. The reason I would do that is because I think. If we lived in a society where more people felt like their fate was tied to the least of us, they would have a little more compassion and think a little more about how those people may or may not be existing. Mm. And that's why I say I wouldn't say anyone can't be rich. I'm not saying that. I wouldn't say anyone can't make as much money as they want. Oh, no, go ahead. We should all be doing that. Enjoy it. Go for it. But I would just want yeah. us all to know that the lowest bank balance, the lowest amount that someone has could randomly go out. And it wouldn't be to everyone. Yeah, you know? yeah I get I would that. Just have it, it would be like 10% of the population. That's what's going to happen. It's the law. Yeah. Every year, 10% of the population, your bank balance becomes what the person with the least amount has in, that, in, that, in, in, the, in the world. Mm. And I just wonder how we would live. Yeah. I, I genuinely would because, yeah, I, I think sometimes... And I understand it, you know, capitalism, hyper-capitalism, you know, this thing we've been tricked into and in believing that in order for you to have, I cannot have, as if trading didn't exist long before. All of that has tricked us into a world of believing that mine is only mine and yours cannot come with it. Mm. So I wonder what would happen in that space. I think even myself, everyone would pay a lot more attention. Go like, Yo, how much do you have? Yo, yeah. We need to get your balance up. Yeah, Because... Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to keep my life as comfortable as it is. Yeah. And the feeling of it could be any of us. Because mm -hmm. it that, could be. Yeah, that mindset. People is take a, it for granted, Jay. Like yeah. it, could, it could always be any of us. Totally, 100%, yeah. Luck is the most random. Man, yeah. You can work as hard as you want. Luck is a huge factor. You can yeah. be the best. Luck is a factor. You can be the worst. Luck is a factor. So, you know, it really could be any one of us. And yeah. so I don't take for granted that I'm lucky. I work hard. I try and, you know... I try and shape as much of the, the environment that my luck will exist within, mm. but I never take for granted that I'm lucky. Trevor, there's a new thing I learned about you today that you don't just ask good questions, but you really 
honor answering questions. <laughs> and, and that's a special, I hate to when people don't, by the way. Trait. Yeah. Oh, you want but to talk about one you. of my pet peeves? Thank you. Man. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Troy, that is so special. Everyone who's been listening or watching wherever you are in the world, uh, I, I hope you appreciated that conversation as much as I did. I hope you could see that we're genuinely just having a good time and getting to know each other and, and learning and going back and forth. But I think there were so many great insights in this conversation and I'd love to see what you took away. So please do share them wherever you're sharing, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, or wherever it is. I'd love to hear what you learned, what you took away, what you gathered from this conversation, what you collected, what you questioned, right? I think that's the biggest thing. What did you question? What is a question that you're asking that you never asked before today? Uh, and uh, I want to give a big thank you to Trevor for showing up and thank you. giving all this time I, and energy. I, I, I will admit, though, I, I didn't do this just out of the goodness of my heart. I came because I remember seeing a, a clip of yours many, 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 many years ago, and you talked about how we don't know how to breathe. I remember that. I remember even watching it, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> sitting at home, like, I know how to breathe. <laughs> and since then, it, it, it stuck with me. I was like, one day I'm going to meet this guy and I'm going to ask him to teach me how to breathe. So oh, we'll have to do that. I know that. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for no, this, man. No, thank, honestly, no. Thank you, man. I appreciate thank you. You're it, the best. This was awesome.